Hey, I'm Ben Gill with Oxenfree Film and Motion. And I'm Christian Harris with Aqueous Films. And this is Building the Brand, the hustle behind Orlando's biggest brands. For this episode, we're doing something a little different. This is an interview that, that Oxenfree did as part of a brand story for Craft in Common, uh, where we're interviewing Brandon and Lindsay. And we just thought that their story was so compelling and like deserved a longer version because so much of it has to be cut out to fit in like a five minute brand story. But our interview was probably like two hours in, in reality. So we cut it down to be a, a narrative and um, you won't hear Christian's questions, but he is here to uh, give his thoughts on like their story and their impact on his business. Yeah, the funny thing about this was that I was there for the interview, but uh, building the brand podcast was not a concept at this time. But I do remember sitting there with Ben as he interviewed uh, Brandon and Lindsay and being like, this is a great interview. I'd love to, I just would love to just sit here and talk to them longer. So uh, flash forward to building the brand podcast, me and Ben were talking about people we want to interview and how we really wish we could just do Brandon and Lindsay again. But it was like that interview was so good. We should just incorporate that into the podcast somehow. And uh, that's what we're doing. Yeah. And Craft in Common is a, if you don't know, is a coffee shop in downtown Orlando um, on Robinson. And they've quickly become like our coffee fix at the office. They just have like a really amazing, like intentional business that they've built from the ground up. And they're also amazing people, the two of them. And just like hearing a husband wife team just like hustle and make something happen and build a brand from nothing is really inspiring. It's crazy. I remember when we first met Brandon and Lindsay and, and talked to them and we obviously love their product. I mean, that, that helps, but just listening to them talk and, and their story is, it's really crazy to hear because they kind of came here with, and just the intention of opening a coffee shop in Orlando and they did it, I feel like in the most perfect way possible. Um, our office is actually located right next to Craft and Common and it's it's just one of those spaces that you you feel comfortable in. And obviously the coffee's great. It's the people who own it and run it are like our friends now. So we, we're really excited for you guys to hear their story. This story um, is, is less business advicey and more just like hearing their story um, as like entrepreneurial spirits, I guess. Um, they, they just dropped everything and went on this like cross country road trip um, in an RV together. And I think coffee just ended up being this thing that they kept coming back to. And they're like, we should open a coffee shop. And it just like goes from there. I think you guys are really going to enjoy listening to this. And I think you'll be able to relate to a lot of the troubles and uh, successes that they've had. All right. So we'll, we'll quit talking and we'll dive right into the episode. So why don't you guys introduce yourself to the people that don't know who you are? Yeah. yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Brandon Dunzing, one of the co-owners of Craft and Common. And I'm Lindsay Dunzing, one of the other owners of Craft and Common. What was your guys' life like before Craft and Common, before this coffee shop and everything? I think our life before was pretty typical of most married couples. I would say we got up, we worked really long days. I was in the restaurant business and he was in finance. So we kind of, um, had opposite schedules. He would work from like 5 a.m. to 5 p.m. and I would go into work around, you know, 10 or 12 and not come home until midnight. So um, it was kind of like ships passing in the night, which, you know, wasn't ideal. Takes its toll. Yeah, for it sure. does. You come from a fine dining background. Could you touch on that and maybe how that's influenced the coffee shop? Yeah, definitely. Um, so my parents, had owned restaurants ever since I was a kid. So I started rolling silverware when I was 10 years old, you know, kind of after school, I would go 
to their restaurant and fall asleep in a booth or something or work on my homework or kind of help them polish glasses or you know something like that so I, I kind of grew up in the industry watching my parents do it and I fell in love with the passion that they had for what they did and so I thought like I really want to do this too you know I love the idea of serving people and kind of having every day be really different so um, we started a restaurant uh, just over 10 years ago now and I worked you know with them for a really long time and eventually um, kind of branched off with them and started a new concept. We worked um, mostly kind of upscale casual stuff. So we would do really good quality food, but a really comfortable um, atmosphere um, that was more focused on the customer's, you know, experience and how they feel. Like a lot of times fine dining can be a little stuffy or, you know, a little bit pretentious. We wanted it to be a really comfortable environment where, you know, you could come in and feel really good and like you're almost at home. What were you unhappy with that made you want to do something different? So I think the biggest part was just our inability to make our schedules a little bit more in sync. Um, it's really hard and it's it's something that kind of plagues the restaurant business, um, especially when you know your spouse has kind of like a normal nine to five job and obviously the restaurant industry is, you know, nights and weekends and holidays and it's really intense and passionate so a lot of times you you get really worked up and you work really hard and you go home and it's kind of hard to unwind you can't go to sleep so you end up staying up late and you know so we we're kind of just really missing um having each other's schedules mm -hmm. a little bit more in sync and i think for me that was the biggest thing um that kind of drove me out of the industry essentially was just um, feeling like I didn't have the freedom to kind of be in control of, you know, my schedule and, and us spending time together. So what inspired this cross-country RV trip? Um, to be totally honest, we were kind of in this little bit of a funk. I had just left um, a really like high stress um, restaurant job and I was getting into coffee at the time. I really fell in love with that. and. We met some friends up in Huntington Beach at the time we were living in San Diego. And we kind of walked along the boardwalk there and we saw all these RVs parked kind of in this like just concrete parking lot right at the edge of the sand. And I feel like I'd never seen anything like it. And um, we were kind of just walking down the boardwalk with our friends and I kind of pulled off to the side and just stopped and like stared at all of the people that were down like barbecuing and having a good time. And I think it might've even been like middle of the week or something like that. And I thought to myself like, wow, I feel like that's what freedom looks like. You know what I mean? These people just seem to be having a great time. And I thought to myself, I wanna do that, you know? And so I went home and, you know, we kind of talked about it. I was like, we could do this. Why couldn't we do this, you know? And um, basically every crazy idea I ever have, he, he pretty much goes along with it pretty willingly, which is awesome. So I get some, random crazy like out you know in the clouds kind of idea and he's the first one to say all right let's do this so um that kind of in, that kind of inspired it i feel like we were looking for something different something big a change that was going to really kind of give us that feeling that we were looking for and i feel like when i was standing on the boardwalk that day looking down at all of those people living such like a free life i just it just clicked for me at that moment
So in San Diego, I did uh, financial advising for um, corporations and for individuals. So everything was basically remote-based. And when Lindsay had the idea of going on this RV trip, I said, well, whether I'm sitting in an office in downtown San Diego or I'm in Yosemite, either way, I'm still on a computer. So it's no big difference. So it was easy for me to go along with it. And so it's an easy decision, Yeah, easy basically. decision, yeah. If I'm on a computer, I'd rather be out in nature on my breaks. Instead of taking a lunch break in downtown, I could go see the mountains, you know? Yeah, I was actually, I was headed to a coffee shop to just do some work for my computer. And, um, and I was just circling the block and I was on the phone with my mom and um, we were just kind of casually chatting. And it was like, I think we're gonna move into an RV. And she was like, oh, okay, like, an RV like in San Diego? And I was like, well, we would travel around and kind of just go wherever the wind blows us, you know? And of course, every mom probably hears that, like their, you know, early 30s child is saying like, I'm just gonna quit my job and move into an RV. She's probably dying inside, but was very supportive. And it was kind of funny now that I look back at it, she was kind of just like, oh, okay, well, what are you gonna do for work? And I was just like, I don't know, I'll figure it out, you know, <laughs> kind of like that mentality that a lot of kids have. Like, I'm just gonna kind of go for what makes me excited and figure out the rest as, as we go. So we, um, we kind of had a little bit of like a fire sale when we, you know, we decided we were gonna do this. Um, we spent every weekend kind of looking for RVs. We would go, you know, anytime we would get a little time off together, we would go drive and do like a day trip somewhere and just look at RVs and, um, once we kind of picked one out that we thought was great, we basically just came back and downsized. And we had come from Florida initially before San Diego. We had like a, a 2,000 square foot house. So we downsized a little bit to like a San Diego apartment essentially, which is mm -hmm. was pretty small, like 700 process, square feet. Sure. Um, so we found that once we were downsizing to an RV, which is just over 300 square feet, um, we basically, just had all of this stuff. And we're like, man, we haven't even touched this since our Florida house. And we've been in San Diego for mm -hmm. over four years. Yeah, when you we know? first moved to San Diego, we got a storage unit thinking like, okay, when we get a house, we're gonna get all this stuff back into our, our spot. And, um, and we got really comfortable just living in an already kind of smaller location. Just less stuff, less clutter, less things you realize you need. And then, so as she was saying, when we decided to do the RV trip, we went back to that storage unit to then get rid of even more stuff. And it was surprising how little you touch and how little you actually really need, so. And each item that we kind of, we donated boxes and boxes of stuff. And every item that I was like, had in my hands and I was like, okay, I'm gonna keep this or I'm gonna put this in the like donation box. Every item I put in the donation box, it like felt so good. I was just like, okay, like I'm gonna donate this too. And I just kind of like, we loaded up so much stuff and we were left with almost nothing. and. <laughs> that's still kind of what we live off today. And it's really incredible, like the feeling you have when you're not being burdened or held back by your stuff is actually really incredible. We realized like we got into the RV and I had only used half the storage because we weren't sure how much stuff we would actually be able to fit in there. Um, so we went really thin and um, we were like, wow, we don't even have the storage full in this thing and it feels great. Like it feels phenomenal mm -hmm. to know that everything you own is with you. It sounds great, but like, tell me more about this RV trip. Like what went well, uh, what was missing? Like what, what about this RV trip eventually led to you guys coming to Orlando and founding a coffee shop? I think the funny thing for me was in the beginning, you kind of have this like dream, you sell all your stuff, you buy an RV, it's like the American dream. <laughs> yeah. 
And then basically you realize you don't know anything about RVs and you've never been camping in your life. Yeah. And so you get kind of like a really humble smackdown on your first like trip out with the RV. It was really nerve wracking. I mean, it's huge and we were pulling it with our truck. We had never pulled anything like that. It was really nerve wracking. Um, our first place was like way high up in a mountain. So we had a hard time navigating the road and there's a lot of glorification of kind of living on the road and traveling full time, but it definitely had a lot of um, really hard learning lessons. I think one of the biggest things that I personally wanted to pull out of the trip was just having the ability to kind of go with the flow a little bit more and understanding like things are going to be totally out of my control, but um, you know, you got to kind of work together as a team and figure it out because there's nobody there that can help you or guide you. You just kind of have to do it. So it was really hard to get adjusted to, especially coming from a really big restaurant environment where I worked with 50 or 60 people a day in any given shift and served four or 500 customers a day um, to go from kind of being surrounded by people constantly um, to an RV situation where you're super secluded. Sometimes the campgrounds we went to didn't even really have any other people in it. So um, we kind of always came up with like a little code word we would say, like when we felt like we just needed to like drive down the mountain and spend the day working from a coffee shop because we just needed to kind of have that connectivity of being around people. It's like nature is really humbling in a sense. It really reminds you how insignificant you really are in the grand scheme of things. And that's definitely one of the biggest takeaways, I think, for me personally um, with the trip. Yeah, coffee definitely actually became a very big part of the trip, surprisingly. I, when we went on the trip, we weren't thinking coffee was gonna be like this big part of it. But one of the things that always made us feel comfortable is when we got to a new location, it was like waking up the next morning, making a really good French press, having that really good coffee just to like kind of calm you down and make you feel like you're at home. Um, was a daily ritual that we basically used just to make ourselves feel comfortable. Yeah, and it was kind of like one of those things that even though like you were moving so quickly, like it was kind of nice that always kind of have that ritual of coffee in the morning. It kind of grounded us and brought us back to like a little bit of familiarity to the things that maybe we felt like we were missing on the trip. That feeling of like, this is what we love, this is what grounds us, and this is something that kind of brings us like that clarity and that grounding feelings like every day. Um, it kind of just clicked for us in that moment, like, hey, we could we could do this, you know? Yeah, and no, I was gonna say, and then in addition to that, sometimes when you are, at least for me, when I was, cause I'm up in the mountains, it's beautiful. I'm, work, I'm still working on my computer, so I get kind of half in, half out. Um, we'd always take a breather, you know? She'd be anxious, she'd wanna go do something. She maybe finished with hike and she'd be like, let's go do something. And our go-to, always to fill our time was coffee shops. We'd you know, go an hour down the mountain, find the closest coffee shop, go and that was like our place to hang out, spend a couple hours to kind of take ourselves back into civilization and be around people. So we always found coffee as like our savior, even on the trip. Like it's, it sounds like when you're on this RV trip, you had like so much time together, like on these long drives to just talk about things. Like where did this first idea for a coffee shop come from? Yeah, I mean, it was, it kind of became a ritual for us and coffee shops kind of became almost like a safe place for us as well. And, you know, this, the skill set that it takes to run a coffee shop or a coffee operation, it's really similar to the things that I loved about the restaurant industry um, without maybe some of the things that I didn't love so much. Um, but kind of you get to 
be around people in a certain type of like culture or community and you get to make something with your hands and give it to somebody else to ingest and like put in their body. It's just such an intimate experience. And I think that's one of the biggest things that, you know, kind of saved us on the trip. And, you know, sometimes we would get lonely out there, but I think when you're used to being around a lot of people and then you kind of just cut that off and spend a lot of a time in nature, you get a, you have a lot of like kind of self-reflection that happens. So I think for us going to the coffee shops in the different town gave us the opportunity to really learn a lot in a short amount of time about the type of communities we were visiting. So I guess what, what kind of things were you inspired by from these other coffee shops? And like, what were you taking away from these experiences that you later brought to Craft in Common? Um, right before we were leaving San Diego, Lindsay, like she had mentioned, was working at, a, again, like a fine dining restaurant. She was over it. She thought San Diego and going to a new place would kind of reinvent it for her. It didn't really work out like that. And so she just, she wanted something low key. You know, my job was doing good. She wanted something low key, so she started working at a coffee shop, which she had a connection through the restaurant that she was previously working at. So coffee had always kind of been in her mind. When we started the trip going in the RV, we had a goal that we told ourselves was, when we start this trip, we want to do it for a year, no matter how good, hard, rough, everything that it is, we're going to stick to it for a year because we, we like to bounce around a lot. Yeah. And we got about <laughs> five months in and we said, okay, I know we said a year, but in reality, we're kind of itching being around people and maybe we can jump in and out of nature and we can do like a hybrid. And so we said, we want to do a coffee shop and really fully committed to it. And then every coffee visit that we went along the way, that's when we did all of our brainstorming. So we'd go into a coffee shop and we'd say, okay, what do we think that they're doing really good here? What do we really love? What do we notice about their interaction with the customer? What do we notice about their drinks? What are some of the good things that they're doing? And then by the end of the trip is really when we kind of brought it all together. Um, so we did a lot of brainstorming kind of on the road and definitely on our long drives. I mean, we had so many 10 hour drives from, whether it was from Denver to Idaho or wherever we were going, you're in, like you said, you're in the car for 10 hours and all you have is time. So we would do tons of brainstorming. What kind of glassware would we use? What kind of flow do we want? How many staff do, you know, all the logistical stuff, but also some of the high level kind of big picture stuff. And that, that was really great too. So was there like a time in the RV where you guys were like, scribbling on scrap pieces of paper and like brainstorming and stuff or? Oh yeah, for sure, definitely, yeah. yeah. I'm like a notorious <laughs> like scratch pad person. So I have like all of these legal pads that I just like scribble on, like circle stuff. It's literally, if you look at it, it doesn't make any sense probably to anybody. And it kind of drives him crazy too because it's like very messy and disorganized but like makes sense to my brain. Um, so I had tons of different like various legal pads that were kind of like pages were flipped and stuff was scribbled on different pages or recipe ideas were written down. Um, so we kind of did a lot of our brainstorming mm -hmm. in that manner. There was, I don't know, a good two week period that we went back and forth just over the shape of our bar. And we just measured every inch, you know, like how big is the espresso machine, how big are the ice bins and just like critiquing it. And so, cause we did most of the design ourselves. So we definitely spent hours upon hours, really just like coming up with every sketch you could ever imagine putting on Photoshop, redrawing it, and going back and forth, so. Yeah, we used a lot of the things in our RV. We're like, okay, the countertop in our RV is like X to visualize amount it, yeah. length, and you know, like that would feel like this if the espresso machine was the size of our sink. And like, we kind of just like really tried to piece together all of the ideas and visualize it as much as we could, but like in the RV. We had a measuring tape across, you know, our counter across the table and like how far is 10 feet and this doesn't seem far enough and just like us like kind of going into the whole I interaction. I to this day have a mini um, tape measure in the cup holder 
in the, the recliner, recliner yeah. in the RV because we just constantly were just like sitting there collaborating and was always kind of like, well, how long is this or how big is this? And we were just like, you know, whip out that tape measure and it still sits in that cup because that's how we still kind of collaborate is right there in that space. Yeah, so I guess changing directions a little bit, what brought you guys back to Orlando and why did you choose Orlando and why did you come back to this community here to have a coffee shop? I mean, you guys came from California, you guys traveled all over this, the country, like what was it about Orlando that brought you back and made you guys want to settle here? And what kind of things from the other coffee shops did you want to bring here to your shop? Yeah, I think the big thing about Orlando um, that we really loved, I was from here originally when I was a kid. I lived in Altamont and uh, Brandon went to UCF. So um, it had been a really long time, but we were Orlando residents at one point. And um, like he mentioned, we kind of have some family in Jacksonville. We've got some family on the Space Coast. And I think one of the biggest things that we missed about being on the West Coast was kind of being close to family. Even to catch a flight last minute to go visit was really difficult and kind of like an all day thing. So um, we started thinking about like, all right, where can we go that's gonna be closer to the people that we love? And I think one of the biggest things for me that we missed about when we lived on the West Coast was um, kind of just that feeling of like a community or like a neighborhood vibe. I think in that moment for me, it really clicked. Like the thing that we're missing most um, being where we were was just that feeling of like a strong bonded community. And Central Florida has that. We think that Orlando is awesome because I think it's really underestimated. Having been in Southern California for so long, we had all kinds of cuisines and we experienced tons of different cultures. And coming back to Orlando, you know, you hear kind of people talking about like, oh, it's got a lot of growing up to do, or, oh, it's got this, or we don't really have any good food, or you hear like different, um, you know, people kind of talking about the food scene lacking. And I just was like really blown away when we came back here, we saw a vibrant city that was, you know, really underestimated. And it almost was like offensive mm -hmm. to us. We're like, how could you possibly see this area? How could you come to Orlando come downtown and see all of the, the artwork and the murals and, you know, just the progression that the city's making and have anything negative to say. It's like one of the most vibrant, amazing cultural communities, has a phenomenal food scene. Um, and so kind of like Brandon mentioned, we tested a lot of different places everywhere we went. We kind of thought to ourselves, like, could we see ourselves here? Um, could we open a coffee shop here? And would we want to live here for a long time? And Everywhere we went, we kind of felt like each place had something that was missing. Mm -hmm. um, and when we got back to Orlando, it just clicked. We were like, this place has everything that we're looking for. And it's an amazing community of very passionate people. And I feel like that culture and that community is a big part of why we decided to do this here. Um, I think it kind of filled all of the voids, the things that we felt like we were missing kind of along the way back. But when we were doing research, we saw how much coffee was here. And it's not like there wasn't good coffee here, there just wasn't enough of it. Um, and so we felt almost like a mission, like we need to bring good coffee here. 
you know, there was already good coffee here, not cutting away from anything. It was just like, we were just you have to drive to go get it because yeah. it's so spread out. It's a large city. So we wanted to be able to help kind of bring that footprint and add more good coffee shops around. So definitely we were like really blown away at the fact that um, there wasn't more here because I feel like the food scene here is phenomenal. City is super vibrant. It's a great place to visit. Like, you know, take all the tourism and stuff, like take that side out of it. Like downtown Orlando and like Yola, it's just incredible. And we're just like, how is there not more here? You know what I mean? Like this, this place is like, it's got it going on. It's got everything, you know what I mean? And, and we're just like, you know, the people of Orlando are ready for this for sure. You know, so we wanted to bring something different, something bright and fun and comfortable, um, you know, something that would kind of fit in with the vibrant, you know, the vibrant city that Orlando is. So kind of following up on that, you guys have like a really curated menu here. Like there's three craft lattes I know, like, and very specific drinks for each category. Like how many were there that didn't make the cut? You know, we kind of tried to refine the menu as much as possible because we're um, firm believers in like quality over everything. So we wanted to know that the things that we put on the menu, we felt like they're a slam dunk and our family felt the same way. So we kind of took a lot of ideas. I had a lot of things on my scratch mm -hmm. pad and it was really hard to pair it back to just what we have specifically on the menu, making sure that we were offering a wide enough selection for people, um, a good enough variety within each category. So there's a lot of things that didn't make the cut, um, not because they weren't good necessarily, but just because we wanted to make sure the new staff and a new business that we were just nailing every drink every time and knowing that we could always add more down the road, which we definitely plan to do. So I want to go into like the actual brainstorming of the drinks. Like I know each of these drinks, like a lot of these drinks have like a specific memory attached to them. Um, or like, how are you guys testing these drinks and brainstorming these drinks? We didn't, so most of the drink creation was conceptual. Um, so we had an idea of where we wanted the drinks to come from, kind of in our heart, based on the experiences that we had. So we would write down recipes and work with recipes. And since Lindsay had worked at multiple restaurants and helped create cocktails, and she just knew what flavors went together. So it was almost like we were sitting in a barrel ready to get shot out. You know, we didn't have access to any of the tools that we needed to really kind of um, craft these things on hand. So we would just sit there and go over recipes about what we think would be good. And the day that we had the machine hooked up was like, shooting us out of that can. It was like unleashing us. You know, we had the opportunity to finally use all the stuff that we had been working on and put it into practice. So most of the drink creation happened actually after we were kind of in the final stage of the build out. But conceptually, it was all on the road. It was kind of all the experience that we have is what drove the idea of the drinks. And then we were able to kind of fine tune them and tweak when we got here. Was, was that always the intention? Like we should make a drink based on our trip, like these experiences we had on the trip. Like, was that always always the intention with these drinks or? Yeah, I don't think it was intentional. I think just that's how our brains work. We always like to have a connection to something and we always want to start somewhere that, uh, you know, something that touches us in our heart. And so since the travel is so close to us, it was very easy to use that as the muse for the drinks. Um, so when we thought about what drinks we would, we would serve in the shop, um, the thing that kind of brought us back was just the experiences that we had on our trip. And we really wanted to incorporate that into each drink um, so that it had its own experience. So the craft lattes are the Pacific Fog, 
that is inspired by a trip to Oregon. The whole trip was because we wanted to go to these lavender fields. So we took this really off the beaten path road and we had a really crazy like near death experience on the top of Mount Hood when there's like an unexpected kind of hailstorm and we got down the mountain and basically just sat in our vehicle and we we're like, oh my gosh, that was so scary. But the next day we went to um, this haystack rock, I think, which is mm -hmm. kind of right on the coast and Oregon coast is amazing. There's fog and it was really peaceful and, you know, definitely you got that salty kind of air feeling and it was definitely really awesome after the terrifying day we had previously at the lavender field. So it kind of just all came together for us. I started thinking like, I love things that are floral and aromatic. So definitely wanted to put lavender in a drink that kind of got the ball rolling. And I started thinking what goes with lavender? Um, I wanted something a little bit different. So the sea salt kind of popped into my head because that was a really big sensory kind of experience for us when we were on the trip. Between those elements, we got a little bit of the experience that we had that day into a drink through those flavors. Um, the Dunes is one of my favorites. It's kind of less about maybe the flavors um, being connected to something and more about the elements of the drink reminding us of certain places. Um, one of our favorite parts of our trip was when we spent time out west. Um, we spent a lot of time in the desert um, specifically in Utah. So you get lots of crazy rock formations. They're like, all the colors are kind of in like the red palette. So it was like cinnamon colors and orange and reds and um, kind of like brick colors. And, and those kind of inspired the dunes for us because the cinnamon and the orange and all of the colors of that drink kind of just really remind us of being in Utah. Um, and I think the wild child kind of just speaks for itself. The inspiration is mostly kind of just about freedom. So the wild child is made with rose syrup, vanilla, and cardamom, and it kind of doesn't play by any rules. Um, and I think that really embodies the name, the wild child. And I think that kind of was a big inspiration from our trip um, about, you know, just having the freedom to kind of roll with things. And a lot of the drinks too, it's, it's not even just the ingredients in them, it's the emotion that it evokes. So when we were in Oregon, you get this really, you know, it's Pacific Northwest, you get that classic kind of hazy, foggy, just kind of relaxing environment. And we wanted the drink to almost kind of hug you, you know, almost like some sort of sweater that you're wearing in, in the cold weather. And so I feel like it does that very well. The dunes, as you're saying, we were in Utah, it's very like an active place. There's an outdoor lifestyle. And you, as soon as you taste that orange in the drink, it really kind of wakes you up. And so we really kind of wanted to like wake you up and bring you alive. And the wild child, I think it's just an embodiment of her really. That's all. <laughs> she just wanted something that was gonna represent like her floral feminine side, but something that's like, I don't, I don't give, I don't give, you know, about anything. She's just so. That was, I think, that was her drink. She doesn't, she probably doesn't say it, but that's kind of like an embodiment to her. And what, what about the mocktails? I know you guys have these like cold brew concoctions based on cocktails. Like, could you guys go into that a little bit? Um, so our cold brew beverages are mostly inspired by cocktails. So we have the shandy, the mule, and the painkiller with my background being in cocktail menu building from the restaurant industry, I wanted to kind of take that idea and apply it to coffee. So we have the shandy, which is lemonade, cold brew, just a little bit of rosemary um, extract and a fresh rosemary sprig kind of is a play on the shandy, um, which is beer and lemonade typically um, with our twists on it. 
the mule is one of my favorites that is inspired by a Moscow mule. Um, but instead of uh, vodka, we use cold brew as the base. So there'll be cold brew, ginger beer, freshly torn mint, lime, honey, and barrel-aged bitters. And that one's really fun and interesting because it feels like you're drinking a craft cocktail. You can taste all the different layers and, and the fact that it's really composed. Um, so that one is definitely really unique as well. Yeah, definitely. You know, a lot of, anytime you use anything on draft, it, it, I feel like it spices things up. It feels more fun. People see a handle come down, they see some come out of a faucet, they get excited. So I, I personally, whenever someone orders something out of a draft system, I get excited. So I know that when we did our cold brew, we wanted cold brew traditional, but then we also wanted a nitro cold brew. We love how that nitrogen creates a cascading effect with the beverage. It really makes it feel more fun. And I think, uh, you know, even when you have a whole crowd of people and you're pouring drinks out of that faucet, it just feels really good. Um, and then on, on the crafted drinks, you know, a lot of our crafted drinks, it's not just ingredients. A lot of stuff is layered in a very specific manner. Um, the way the ice goes in at a certain part, you know, everything's built on certain steps. So like the salt will go in, you know, step four out of the five. So that certain things, you know, blend better and certain things melt and fuse in the drinks different. So there's like even an art to the ingredients that are in the drink. That's part of that kind of mocktail vibe that we have from the restaurants. So I know you guys like probably experimented with like thousands of drinks and we're just like testing them on each other and getting like over caffeinated and stuff. But was there ever a point where you guys were like showing them to family and friends or like you guys worried that like will other people like these drinks? I mean, it's kind of scary to like refine it down to just a few drinks. Yeah, one of the hardest thing about um, creating recipes is, um, you know, this is great, I love it, but are people going to like it? That's probably the hardest thing about putting a menu together, whether you're doing wine or food or cocktails, it's hard to kind of disconnect like what your palate tastes and like understand what other people may be looking for or what they may be expecting to experience based off of how you describe the drink to them or how it's listed on the menu. So. Yeah, we had one big kind of prep day, like time was, time was narrowing yeah. in, we had to get this place open. We kind of recruited all of our family. Uh, my parents are currently in Jacksonville. Hers still live at the beach, obviously, with the restaurants. And we were like, all right, everyone get over here. We got to get everything cleaned up. So as everyone was here cleaning up, it was also like taste testing day. You know, everything <laughs> that we've been working on, let's get a whole crowd. Let's keep slinging drinks all day long and just try everything along the way. Yeah, we definitely over-caffeinated a lot of people yeah. in the process. To Painting went really this good. Yeah. We also had a really awesome friends and family event too before we opened where we invited friends, family, and extended friends and family mm -hmm. as well to kind of really help us just refine our process before we got open, taste some of the drinks, and um, give us their opinion on, on what they were tasting. And it gave us an opportunity to really get like a broad spectrum of you know, different palettes and different people of different ages kind of see what they were expecting and what their thoughts were. So that was helpful. So I know the first time we spoke, you guys like talked about this juxtaposition you wanted to create between your coffee shop and this urban downtown vibe that's here in Orlando. Um, how did you guys build that into Craft and Common? I think the big thing for us was we wanted to be a place where people felt comfortable. I think that was our number one thing. And we're kind of in a funky part of the neighborhood that's really, you know, kind of developing still. Um, when we came into the building, there was nobody else in the building. It was totally vacant. So it was a it was a spot that a lot of people kind of walked by quickly or we noticed they would even cross the street because they didn't even want to walk like right in front of our building because it was just kind of a sketchy part of town. And 
um, we really wanted to bring something in that was bright and clean and fun. And I think the biggest part for us was kind of incorporating all of the plants and all of the greenery because, um, you know, we kind of get that feeling of being in nature every time we kind of walk into the shop and we're surrounded by all these plants, they give us like this feeling of joy or almost kind of bliss. And it's a really comforting feeling. And those are all of the same things that we experienced when we were out in nature and we were kind of surrounded by, you know, nothing but ourselves and trees and, you know, the mountains and stuff like that. So we wanted to bring that vibe to our space here in Orlando and kind of offer a little bit of an oasis in, you know, definitely like an urban downtown area. We wanted our shop for sure to be an, ex an escape is what we wanted. You know, when we took that RV trip, it was really an, ex an escape from what was normal for us to kind of get out of the hustle and bustle and really just have our own peaceful area to kind of enjoy each other. And being right here in the heart of downtown, that's exactly what we want with this space. We really want this space to be, you know, you come out of that skyscraper, you walk down, you're walking on the busy street, and then you enter here and it's just peaceful. You feel at home, there's a community here. You feel like you're escaping from where you're currently at. You know, Orlando's growing so quickly and there's tons of new construction. Um, so we looked at a lot of places that had like dirt floors and concrete walls and you know, everything was just like a blank canvas. And we looked at a lot of spaces like that and what we kind of left each one feeling like was okay, but like it just was missing something. Um, and we looked at kind of a place across the street and um, we just, we, we were looking at it and we, we weren't feeling it at the time. The realtor was like, I have something on the other side of town I think you guys are gonna like. She's like, it's really gross and dirty <laughs> and old and it needs some love. Um, Emphasis on the was. <laughs> <laughs> was. Um, <laughs> She's like, but I, I think you guys will like it. And I was like, perfect, I wanna see it. Cause I wanted something that had some soul to it. I wanted something that had some history and some character. Um, and so we kind of came into the space and it was everything she described and more. And I think we couldn't be more excited um, at, at what we saw because it was an opportunity to kind of take something and make it new. And that was really, really exciting for us. So when we came in, we kind of just, we spent weeks just cleaning and painting and we're like, all right, we don't know what we want to do with this space like 100% in terms of design because neither one of us are designers by any means. Um, so we're like, let's get it really clean. Let's paint everything white and we'll make it, you know, our own blank, ca blank canvas and then we'll go from there. Anything that felt like it was lacking, we kind of just started like filling it in with plants. You know, we chose to leave the floor um, kind of in its original condition, we just basically refinished it to be like a smooth surface, but it has um, a lot of character and it kind of tells a story. And this building and we're in, I think it's almost 80 years old or maybe even older. So we definitely wanted to um, include some of the building's history in the build out as well. So you can kind of see there's like metal tracks that run through the floor where maybe an old storefront used to be, or maybe the unit used to be smaller and that was where the wall was. And we like that the imperfections and all of the little parts of the floor that, you know, are there from when this building originated kind of tells the story of the building. And that's the type of character that we were looking for and has a kind of organic vibe and you know we brought the clean modern feelings in with you know all of the white the white bar 
um, all of the retail shelving kind of was our own blank canvas. I am, I'm always high level. Lindsay's very good at bringing me back down and adding in a lot of intentionality to everything. Um, so I know when we were talking about what we really wanted is we wanted, um, again, this whole philosophy of community. And so we, we knew we wanted a community table. And so in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, great, let's make a community table. And Lindsay, of course, takes it to the next level and she says, we can make a community table that really forces community. Um, and so we put our heads together and said, okay, well, how can we create an environment where people feel more natural to interact? A lot of times you go to a coffee shop and there's someone working on a laptop, you don't want to interrupt them. Everyone's in their own individual space. And with the community table, that's not what we wanted. And we wanted to make sure that didn't happen. And so when we were talking, we said, okay, well, what usually detracts people from hanging out? And it's work, laptop, it's technology, it's electronics. And so we were very specific with the width in particular that we made our community table. We wanted to make it so it was not wide enough for two people to fit a laptop on. So you had to have a conversation with the person across from you. It was very hard. Or if they had a laptop, you could communicate with them. And it was very, uh, much more collaborative. Definitely. Yeah, so we were very intentional with the height of it, the width of it. Um, we chose to make it like bar height too because yeah. we wanted it to feel more communal. I feel like it's always uncomfortable when you're sitting at a lower table and people are kind of around you. So we thought if this is going to be a communal area where people may be, they may be standing, you know, taking a quick shot of espresso or they may be kind of, ch you know, chatting while they're waiting for their drinks. So we wanted it to feel comfortable for the people that were at the table. So we thought if we made it high top, it'll be sitting basically at most, you know, people standing level. So, um, and we have the banquet seating too, kind of off to the side. So there is like a little bit more of a quiet oasis for the laptop workers. Cause that was, that was us for so long in our trip. We needed a place within an outlet that we could plug in our laptop and sit there quietly and work all day. So. And then we also kind of have our um, seating area as well in front of the wallpaper wall um, has kind of two big comfortable chairs. And sometimes I see people like take their shoes off and like pull their knees in and snuggle up and like read a book or like kind of sit there and talk to each other. And um, they look really comfortable, almost like they're in their own home. And that's exactly what we wanted. So we wanted to offer a lot of seating um, so that people could come in and hang out. Um, but we also wanted to offer seating that was diverse as well so that, you know, if you're coming in on your lunch break and you work locally and you're dressed in business attire, um, we wanted you to feel comfortable next to the two people that maybe were just best friends and they were kind of having a casual brunch or, you know, somebody that maybe was studying for school. So we decided to make the seating kind of uh, multi-purpose, kind of give people an area where they can be very communal and they can sit across from somebody and have an intimate conversation or have a group conversation or be collaborative on a long, big table. Yeah, I never even thought about it till just now, but long tables in general to me feel like family. Like whether you're having Thanksgiving or something, it's usually like a big long table that's stretched out that brings everyone together. So that's kind of cool that we made it the length that we made it. And my favorite spot is, we have a table similar to this, a little bit skinnier near the front of the store. Uh, I love it because all the windows. I love to see the light come in and brighten up the space. And so you can sit really high. Again, you don't feel like you're kind of low and missing out on anything. You feel a little bit elevated and you get a chance to kind of look out at all the action that's happening outside, but feel kind of protected by that glass and it's quiet in here and all the bright light. Uh, so that, that front section is my favorite. The inspiration behind the bar is we wanted it to feel um, open and we wanted people to literally be able to walk up and watch their drink be made from start to finish. So if you stand in line at a register, you can basically see right down the line of our bar and you see every part of the process. You see us 
grinding the espresso beans, you see us tamping, you see us brewing the shot, you see us, you know, composing the drink with all of the different elements that go in it. Um, we wanted it to kind of feel like you were almost in our home. Like you would kind of walk right up, you'd peek behind our counter, got nothing to hide. You know, we're, we're kind of clean freaks and we're, we're really neat. And um, so we wanted to like really let people in on what we were doing. And we felt like that kind of brought that whole communal vibe together as well. Um, just letting people kind of poke their head around the machine and ask questions and say like, oh, wh what is that that's going in there? Or is that my drink? Like, I wanna, I wanna watch it or I wanna get a photo of it kind of brings people in and makes them feel excited and comfortable. One of the biggest things that we hate about, um, you know, sometimes like what can happen is like when people go in and they feel immediately like uncomfortable. So we wanted our space to feel totally comfortable from the second you walk in the door, even if it's not your, you know, if it's your first time here. Other bars, whether it's in restaurants or coffee shops, I've seen, you know, various different types of bars and, um, you know, a lot of times they're kind of compact or like the espresso machine is hidden and, you know, it's kind of hard to see behind the bar or it's like really high up and it's hard to talk to the person that's back there. Um, we have like a big U-shaped bar with an opening on both sides. So it's easy for us to get out from behind the bar as a staff to serve our customers. We try to take um, the service to an extra level. We'll maybe clear your plates for you or offer you some water, swing by and just ask you how you're enjoying your coffee and having the bar open, um, kind of floating, if you would, um, in, in the center of the dining room gives us the opportunity to kind of also be really communal and be out mingling with our guests as well. Um, but it gives them, you know, kind of the vibe where they can sit back on the banquet and just kind of watch what we're doing. So I know a big thing that I notice when I come into Craft & Common is like, all the other small businesses that you guys support here in your shop and like sell their products. Um, why have you guys tapped into the small business heartbeat here in Orlando and like supported other small businesses here? We believe there's room for everybody at the top and we feel like the more we can support other people trying to achieve their dream, the more likely we are to get closer to our goal, which is to be in a really communal um, environment. And I think that doing the pop-ups and working with local retailers like Corksicle or um, Rifle Paper Company, that gives us the opportunity to support local businesses. Um, and it gives us the opportunity to collaborate with local businesses. We had someone here making waffles one time. We had someone with donuts. We had like the Orlando Pride players pop up and do like these fun bake sale style things. and. It's just like a really cool way to kind of further support that community mm -hmm. kind of thing. Like where we bring people in to our business and we collaborate and it gives them an opportunity to like expose themselves to, you know, our demographic and vice versa. So. Yeah, most of them don't have a brick and mortar location. So this is a great opportunity for them to get exposure and to kind of express what they do. Our sweet and savory pastries that we keep in the case, we actually source those from local bakers. We try to highlight like a lot of um, vegan and or gluten-free items. Um, I have celiac disease, so I always like to have a few good gluten-free goodies in the case, but um, most of the stuff in the pastry case falls under that category to some extent. Um, but it's kind of one of those things that we're really proud to offer because it's something that everybody can enjoy, whether you have dietary restrictions or not. As somebody that can't eat gluten because I do have celiac disease, like it's hard to go somewhere and you know be able to enjoy 
a coffee, but maybe not get to try one of their pastries that they have. So you kind of feel like you're missing part of the experience and we didn't want anybody to feel left out in that way. So a big part of Craft and Common obviously is like the, the common part of your guys' name, which is common goods. Like why was this common goods aspect like a big emphasis with like the customer experience here at Craft and Common? For sure, I think the product kind of adds to that um, level of community. We like to bring in local brands, but we also like to bring in some stuff that's maybe inspired by some of our travels, things that we saw at little boutiques, um, you know, out in California or makers that are from different parts of the US. I think it kind of just speaks to that um, idea of bringing people together. So with the retail goods, we try to do fun, funky, must-have stuff that maybe you can't find everywhere, but also things that are local to the community and support our local artisans and makers. Um, so with the retail, we do a lot of times, um, you know, bright, fun kind of kitchen goods or barware, but we also do a lot of plant-based stuff as well. So we'll have different books or plant misters. We're working with a local um, pottery company to supply pots for all of the plants that we sell. Um, so we want it to be kind of fun. We want you to feel like you can pick things up and touch them and look at them and interact with the product and your friends. And, you know, it's kind of that excitement that we want people to feel when they look at our menu. We want people to feel that same way um, when they're looking at the items on our shelves. And it kind of just brings people together, gets them talking and makes the atmosphere, atmosphere feel fun. Like, can you guys remember like some of the apprehensions you guys had when you were opening the store for the first time? And I know you guys did like a soft open, but like, what was that like? Well, I think for the most part, we're pretty crazy in a sense. We get an idea in our heads and we find a way to make it happen regardless. I think with any business, there's always that kind of voice in the back of your head that says like, are you gonna fail? Are you gonna make it? Are people gonna like what you're doing? Are they gonna understand what you're doing? Are they gonna think it's stupid? Are they, you know, you kind of always have those thoughts in the back of your head. And I think the thing is like, as long as you do what you know is right and you listen to your customer and you're willing to adapt on a day-to-day -day basis to kind of, you know, offer things that people get excited about, I think you can do no wrong in that sense. Um, I think it's always nerve wracking opening a business. You put everything into it. Um, you know, you put a lot of time and money and you, you put your heart and soul into it and you just kind of hope that people get it, you know? So I think we take a lot of pride in making sure that we're kind of staying on top of our quality game in a sense and, you know, following up with people, asking them if they like their drinks, because I think that's the biggest thing that sets you apart um, when you're a new business. I think from Lindsay and my perspective, we knew what we wanted, we knew how to execute it. The one variable that you can't control is the people you work with. And it's how well can you illustrate that dream to them? How passionate can you make them in such a short period of time? And so that's the one variable that if I had to kind of reach back and figure out what I was the most nervous about, it was how involved and how up to speed did they feel? How comfortable were they? Because if the staff was comfortable, I knew everyone else was gonna have a good experience. You know, the staff had only a minimal amount of time to really get training. We kind of went right from the construction phase through all of our inspections and we were basically like the next day we were rolling, you know? So we kind of, I think maybe wish we had more time to work with the staff um, ahead of time. But I think the biggest thing on grand opening day um, was just not knowing how many people were gonna show up, 
you know, how things were gonna go, if they were gonna be happy, because you only have one chance to make a first impression um, and we wanna get it right. That's really important for us. So I think for people like us that are such planners, I think not knowing what to expect was kind of the hardest part about turning the lock on mm -hmm. the door that day it was just like, all right, we're gonna take whatever curveballs come at us today and we're gonna do our best. So, so if, if you guys had to imagine like the perfect day at Craft & Common, um, what's like the ideal experience you'd want someone to have when they walk through that door? I think the biggest thing that I want them to feel is excitement. When they walk in the door, they see the decor, they see the smiling faces of everybody working behind the bar, they hear the music, like, cause we're always jamming out to something fun. Um, I think the biggest thing we want them to feel is just excited. They're in a new place. Um, we want them to experience what we're offering. When you go to, uh, you know, not all of them, but a lot of coffee shops you go to, sometimes you can go in and feel a little bit hesitant. You know, there's a lot of stuff on the menu. Not everyone's a coffee pro. And so you'll see Cortado and Cortadito and all these things that maybe you don't know because it's not something you drink every day. It's or you really don't, overwhelming. Yeah, and you don't want to venture out and you don't feel like you can ask a question, but you're curious. Well, at our space, we want people to come in and feel very comfortable. They always get a hello, a welcome, and somebody behind the register, that's all they want to do is please them. It's answer any question they have. It's make them feel comfortable. It's ask them if they want it for here to go. It's all the fine tuning details so that they feel like they're really taken care of. The biggest things I noticed on grand opening was just kind of like the excitement of each person. Cause I worked the register all day that day. So I like made contact with everybody that walked through the door. And I think the best part about the entire day was just feeling the excitement of each person as they walked up, they looked at the menu, they saw the offerings that we had and they just got excited and they just kind of like start rapid fire, like questioning, like what's in this? How do you make that? You know, and I love that our customers feel comfortable doing that. That to us means that we're like, we're nailing it. This is exactly what we were hoping to do is make people feel comfortable. And then not necessarily with the opening, but <clears throat> um, you know, Lindsay and I are both really confident in the coffee shop, but there's a lot of times throughout the day where we're stressed out. There's a lot of things going on. There's decisions we have to make. And one of the things that always keeps us going, as, as she had mentioned, was the support of the community. Throughout the day, we have so many Instagram messages of people that were in here and, hey, this is a highlight of my day, or they're reposting it and they want to tell their friends and they're excited about it. So it's getting that support that really helps smooth out our day and keeps us going. It really does keep us going because like we did this for you know, the community. We, we did this because we wanted to do this, but we also wanted to make a spot where people feel happy and people feel comfortable. And that kind of brings us back to our roots um, in the restaurant business, you know, kind of serving people and getting them excited. And, you know, the feeling someone has after they eat a really good meal or drink a really good cup of coffee and they're just totally stoked. I think seeing that throughout the, you know, the Instagram messages or you know, the Facebook messages or people kind of in the shop that have just reached out and said like, hey, we had a good time. It it definitely really kind of touches us and it makes us feel good. Like we're, we're doing the right thing here. I mean, people feel comfortable enough to like even bring their dogs in like. Yeah, we, we choose to be dog friendly because, um, you know, our dogs are a big part of our life. We don't have any kids. So our dogs are kind of like our babies and they went on every adventure with us throughout all of our travel. So. It was really important, you know, we always kind of got sad. We saw customers come and tie their dog up outside, come in and get a drink. I was like, hey, just let you know, you know dogs welcome in here too. And it makes people really happy and really excited because I think kind of like our generation too, really thinks people think of their pets kind of as their family. So, um, you know, it's 
kind of hard for people to tie their dogs up outside and then come inside and, and enjoy coffee. So, you know, we, we definitely welcome um, dogs into the shop because it's just a part of who we are. Um, it's something that we believe in and we're passionate about. We love our pets. So we definitely want people to be able to experience that. And it adds another layer of just having, you know, the customer feel comfortable and welcome. The furry ones too. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's awesome. So last question is like, what does the future hold for Craft in Common? Like how will Craft in Common continue to be shared? And like, how do you want to help grow this community of Orlando? It's hard to tell. Um, we're definitely, you know, we're definitely headed in the right direction. We're hoping to add some really new fun elements to the space. Um, some of our many menu offerings are gonna change. Some new things are gonna come in. So I think kind of um, more immediately, we have some really fun stuff happening before the end of the year that we're really looking forward to. Um, and uh, kind of still a little bit of a secret in the works. Um, and I think long-term, we definitely wanna just keep doing what we're doing. Um, we've been approached about other locations, but um, quality is our number one priority and representing the city and making you know Orlando proud is kind of what we're here to do. And I think that you know, with regards to that kind of stuff, we never say never, but I definitely would keep your, keep your eyes on Crafting Common for sure. I think as we grow, we really wanna create more ways for people to experience Crafting Common. We'd love to build out a more robust food menu so they can come and spend more time here. We wanna create more of an environment where they can spend all day. So having stuff outside that they can have fun with. So whether it's you know games on a Sunday like cornhole that are, you know I picture them really cool decaled and really fun with like kitschy little quotes on them or we were thinking about doing some sort of a fun dog event. You know, the whole thing is like caged out out back and all this artificial turf and you can come and basically have coffee out on a lawn and bring your bring your animals. And um, so there's definitely a lot of things that we wanna do, all with the sole purpose of making the space more available for people, really creating that third spot that they can come where it's not their house, it's not their work. It's a place they feel comfortable that they wanna share with their friends. I think looking back, we kind of like, it sounds kind of lame, but we like totally pinch ourselves and we're like, how did we do this? Like, how did we make this happen? We, we have a tendency to kind of jump, like we leap blindly into things that we're passionate about and we put our head down and then we kind of, once we get through it all, we look back and we're like, wow, I can't believe we did that. You know, whether it's our move to California or RV trip or even opening this shop, we kind of look back at all of it and we're just like, wow, I can't believe we did that. You know, I can't believe at the time we were not afraid to do this, we just did it, you know? And I think that's one of the biggest things about us and our relationship is we don't let fear hold us back. You know, I think as a team, it's made us a lot stronger. And I think kind of as business owners, it's given us like, you know, just this responsibility to, to keep pushing forward. We look back and see what we've overcome and what we've done to get here and kind of like the hardest part is behind us. And now we get to do what we do best, which is serve people and, you know, help people to have a good time. Just want to thank Brandon and Lindsay for um, talking with us and allowing us to use the full version of their interview for our podcast. There is so much we could take away from the intentionality that went into their business and how we can apply that same intentionality to every aspect of our own businesses. Yeah, Brandon and Lindsay were great. The cool thing about them, obviously, we're, we're friends with them and we see them all the time. And I think the biggest thing 
that I think about every time I walk into that coffee shop is these two move from across the country to start a business and they're an iconic coffee shop in Orlando now. I, I No one doesn't know who they are. And for my industry specifically, uh, it's kind of, you know, a goal to try and reach to be, a, a, you know, a known name in Orlando and to see them be able to do that with kind of the struggles that they faced uh, gives me a lot of encouragement that I can do the same. Yeah. And we, and we caught them in year one of their business with this interview. So it's, it's amazing to see even how they're able to subtly change their offerings and and now they offer beer and wine and they offer like breakfast and like lunch and like um, I think Lindsay's fine dining influence is starting to uh, to show up in other areas of their business now. Again, we're 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 recording this in the midst of the COVID nineteen pandemic, and to watch them do what they've done through this in terms of how they're able to maintain their business, whether that's through doing pickup orders or even supporting other small businesses by letting them kind of sell their product through their store is uh, really amazing to see. They're truly a uh, like a community supporter. And uh, we knew that from day one, but it's really showing right now through what we're going through with, with COVID-19. Yeah, I mean, they even say it in the interview, but they're all about like helping others achieve their dreams. So it's just really awesome to see like even in a time that's as difficult as this, they're willing to do whatever they can to help other businesses. I'm just thinking they're they've they're an, like, an example of how they didn't even like miss a step, you know, like they were immediately pivoting to like online orders and pickup and doing everything like safely and just being like, you know, loud and like you didn't forget that they were there, you know, like we're still here, like and you're, you want your copy fix, like we're, you know, so I think they're a great example. I mean, Ben, how many times have you had craft in common since the quarantine? I think two or three. I mean, I've, I've tried not to leave the house too much, but, um, it, but because of how loud they are on social media, when I'm like, for any reason going over there, it's like, well, I have to go to craft and common, you know, because they're top of mind. And I know that, uh, especially you and, Obviously, you know, most people that we we know in Orlando are doing their best to support local businesses. And if you are going to go out and, and get coffee or, or breakfast and you just don't have groceries at the time and, you know, it's kind of an, an only option for you at the time, it's it's great to do that for these local businesses in Orlando and making sure that they're maintaining and Craft uh, & Commons just doing a really good job of making that easy and safe. Uh, obviously, Oxenfree Film and Motion and Aquas Films are trying to do the same thing. So to be able to uh, work with other small businesses like that and make sure that it's safe. And they were drawn to Orlando and actually saw Orlando as this opportunity um, and this opportune place to bring their business. And they kind of single-handedly like transformed an area of, of downtown that you normally wouldn't really go to. And now it's like you're seeing all sorts of other little pop-up shops um, around there. And now like you have to go over there to get your coffee fix. So it's, it's not just a FedEx over there. And now it's like, it's bright and welcoming and we love going there. And, and if any of you listeners are not from Orlando or um, are in Orlando and have never been to Craft & Common, uh, you'd be doing yourself a, a, a huge favor by going and checking them out. Um, whether that's just to work there for the day or to grab breakfast or grab a beer or just if you're, you need a coffee to go. And these are obviously uh, different times right now with COVID-19, but uh, in, in normal times when things start getting back to normal, you could really do yourself a favor and go grab a coffee, grab a bite to eat. Once you go, you're, you're going to keep going back. So uh, do yourself a favor. 
Yeah. So thanks so much for listening. And I, I think we're definitely looking to interview some more people during this COVID-19 when people are very accessible to talk on Zoom chats and all sorts of things. So I hope that we're going to be putting out more episodes on a more regular basis. And uh, thanks so much for listening and please subscribe and uh, we'll see you on the next one. Thanks guys. See you next time.